Cashback is not available on gas in New Jersey and Wisconsin. Hey, good morning. You're heading the airport, right? Yeah, thanks for checking. I like the car. How long have you been a rideshare driver? About three years now. I really enjoy it. Isn't it hard to make money these days with the price of gas being so high? Not for me. I use Upside, the free app that gives you cash back for every gallon of gas you buy. Wait a minute. Are you saying you actually get real money back when you get gas with the Upside app? Yep, I get real cash back every time I get gas. Does that actually add up to anything? I'll make around $200 to $300. Wow, that's serious extra cash. I'm downloading the Upside app now. Download the free Upside app now to earn real cash back every time you buy gas. Use promo code CAR for an extra $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. You can cash out anytime right to your bank account, PayPal, or a gift card for Amazon and other brands. Just download the free Upside app and use promo code CAR for a $0.25 cents a gallon bonus on your first tank. That's code CAR. You are listening to Killer. This is case number 11, The Cleveland Strangler. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. We're about to begin. What happened in this house behind me is simply a nightmare, and there are a lot of deeply disturbing questions for authorities here. There were six bodies found in this house last week. This morning, we know there are more. We discovered four additional, what we believe to be, four bodies. Police believe that they were murdered by this man, Anthony Sowell, a convicted rapist who had been living in the house. It appears that this man had a cessatiable appetite that he had to fill. Five of the bodies have been identified as women. Police say they were strangled. I didn't feel safe. There's something telling me don't go in this house. One woman says she narrowly avoided being a victim. How he was in love with me, how he wanted me to go up to his house and drink with him. Sowell was a registered sex offender, and this tragedy raises questions about how closely he had been monitored by police. Probation and parole is not really set up to be a law enforcement outfit. They're not set up to do the type of surveillance and supervision that might catch somebody like this guy. The search of this house will continue. Chris, there could be still more bodies here. Pierre, thank you. Thank you for the reporting. Police in Cleveland, Ohio, released new details today in a grisly murder case. At least 11 victims have now been found inside the home of a man convicted of attempted rape, a registered sex offender. Police say some of the corpses may have been there since 2005. Across the country, there are almost 700,000 registered sex offenders required to tell authorities where they live. In our Closer Look tonight, ABC's Pierre Thomas reports that tracking all of them is overwhelming. It's a virtually impossible job. The question on everyone's mind in Cleveland today, how did a registered sex offender amass bodies in his home without anyone knowing? 28 years of being on this bench, uh, this is, without question, the most serious set of allegations that I've ever faced. And people are mad. They're mad about this. I don't blame them. And I'm mad, too. The evidence suggests Anthony Sowell exploited a broken system. For starters, authorities failed to enlist the community's help to be on the lookout for signs of trouble. 
Saul was a registered sex offender, but the law did not require authorities to knock on doors and notify his neighbors. No one even knew about him being a predator. All right, that was, uh, uh, the system dropped the ball on that. Across the country, a similar story. The system that we have to do monitoring, supervision, follow-up once they return to the community is just overwhelmed. In the Cleveland case, the county where Anthony Sowell lived is home to 3,400 other sex offenders, and there are just eight officers to track them. And then there's the law. Sowell was required to check in with authorities every 90 days, and he did. Sheriff's deputies can make unannounced visits to his home to make sure he was still living there, which they did in September, but they could not go in. We are not obligated or actually allowed under law to enter the offender's residence. The fact is, sex offenders have constitutional protections like everyone else. The same rights as you and I have rights to privacy. Last December, Sol was accused of trying to rape a woman at his house. He was arrested, but his victim later dropped the charges. The sheriff's sex offender unit says they were never informed of the arrest. Sol was left on the street. More and more women were disappearing. And as all too often the case, authorities never suspected a thing. Pierre Thomas, ABC News, Cleveland. This Cleveland story is prompting some strong reactions. You can weigh in on sex offender laws by going to our blog, The World Newser, at abcnews.com. Yes, finally, finally. Justice, 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 justice. Your reaction? I, I'm, I am just so pleased with the verdict right now. Very A celebration in the hallway as the families of the victims react to the verdict. Justice has been served. All the families happy. It's over. Wednesday, a jury recommended the death penalty for convicted serial killer Anthony Sowell. We therefore unanimously find that the sentence of death should be imposed upon the defendant Anthony Sowell. We get closure, finally. Closure for the only surviving victim, Vanessa Gay. Vanessa, your, your, your reaction to today's verdict? Um, I support the jury's decision, um, and I'm thankful that he'll never hurt another woman again. Gay was the only woman that's so allowed to leave. He victimized women all through his life, um, and he's not going to be able to do that again. Ray's Sausage, a small sausage and cheese shop on the east side of Cleveland, Ohio, was blamed for the foul stench in the neighborhood. <clears throat> they replaced their grease traps and even their sewer line, but the foul odor still remained. On multiple occasions, Councilman Zach Reed called the health department and alerted them of the foul smell plaguing the area. While there were many complaints, they fell on deaf ears. The area where Ray's is located is in a neighborhood in East Cleveland called Mount Pleasant, located on the corner of Imperial Avenue and East 123rd Street. This area of Cleveland is a bit run down from what it once used to be. However, there are homes and apartments, corner drugstores, and churches lined up for blocks. Mount Pleasant is just your average Cleveland suburb. On September 22, 2009, sheriff's deputies arrive at 12205 Imperial Avenue in Cleveland, Ohio. The officers are there to do a check into Anthony Sowell, a reported sex offender, who, due to the passing of the Adam Walsh Act, must check into the sheriff's office every 90 days. The officers are just validating his address and making sure um, that he's registered properly, and they do not enter his home. A few hours later, Sol persuades Latundra Billups to come to his house to drink malt liquor with him. Sol became angry and choked her with an extension cord and raped her until she passed out. She was able to leave by promising Sol to bring him $50 and to not tell police about the incident. We're going to go back in time and talk about the history of Anthony Sol. Sol was born August 19, 1959. He was raised in East Cleveland and one of seven children. He was the son of a single mother, Claudia Gertrude Garrison. Seven other children moved in with them, all belonging to Sol's sister. They moved in after the death of their chronically ill mother. Sol's niece alleges that Garrison abused him physically. She states that in one incident, she was forced to strip naked in front of the other kids and was whipped with an electrical cord until she bled. Sol began raping his niece on almost a daily basis at the age of 11. Sol eventually entered military service in the Marine Corps on January 24, 1978, when he was 18. He was trained as an electrician at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. On July 13, 1978, he was assigned to the 2nd Marine Aircraft Wing at the Marine Corps Air Station, Cherry Point, in North Carolina. In 1980, he spent a year overseas. He returned to Cherry Point after that and then was assigned to Camp Butler in Okinawa, Japan on January 20, 1984. A year later, he transferred to the Camp Pendleton in California, 
for three days until he was discharged honorably on January 18, 1985. Corporal Sowell received a Good Conduct Medal with one service star, a Sea Service Deployment Ribbon, a Certificate of Commendation, a Meritus Mast, and two Letters of Appreciation. Just prior to Sowell joining the military, he had impregnated his high school girlfriend. He would occasionally visit her when he could, and his child. He also married a woman he met while stationed in Okinawa, Japan, but the marriage would ultimately end in divorce. Sowell has a strange upbringing. Um, he he doesn't really have a father figure in his life. They all live with his mother. Um, she's obviously, by the account of the niece, she's very abusive. And um, one of Sowell's siblings gets chronically ill, and so her seven kids then move in. So there's like 14 kids in this house. And, you know, um, Sowell's mom abuses some of them whips them with extension cords forces them to strip naked like do all these weird things like this extra aggressive stuff um and you know souls there witnessing this growing up and i think he kind of starts to form this distrust of women early on in his life well i think you're absolutely right i can you imagine the trauma that a, a kid that's 10 11 years old goes through in their head when they see you know their nieces and nephews and other siblings being stripped naked and beaten with a cord. I just, that is, that in its own right, right there would leave a lasting scar in my opinion. Yeah. And then, you know, eventually Sowell starts molesting and raping his, his niece, which is gross on many levels. And, um, and, you know, uh, I think it was stated as well that, uh, he had a, I don't know if it was his brother or one of his other, his sibling, or um, his cousins or whatever, named Junior, um, also began raping the same same niece. So this poor girl, man, she had it rough. I, I can't imagine the chaos in a household with, he's one of seven children, and it didn't really say how many children were still in the house, but then there's seven additional kids that move into the house. So if they all lived at the same residence at one time, that's crazy. Yeah, it, it's absolutely nuts. And, you know, um, so you can see, like, there's this just history of abuse and violence from his mother at an early age. And, you know, I think that ends up ultimately shaping uh, Sowell. And, you know, it starts to kind of formulate, you know, how he treats and views, you know, women oh, uh, going I forward. I completely agree. I don't know if it, it scared him, I'm sure, watching his mother do that to other people. But then, you know, s- switch the, you know, flip the switch over to raping his niece and you know not only does he not have respect for you know women in general he's he could be fearful of them he's doing things to show them that he's dominant in this case and then it it escalates from that point sickening yeah absolutely and um i recall reading something or hearing it might have actually been his testimony when he was talking during his trial and he says that he joined the military to spite his mom you know, he just, he, he didn't like her and he joined the military to serve just in spite of her. And, um, and, you know, I thought that was pretty interesting and kind of telling of the way that he felt about her and, and women in general was, you know, he was always like angry towards her, it seemed like. And I think that manifests itself in many ways throughout his life. I'm sure he was subject to the same abuse from her. I mean, if she's clearly stripping other kids down in front of in front of all of them and doing that, I'm sure they all took their turns. So I'm sure that that hate manifested, you know, from that simple act, humiliating him and then abusing him and beating him in front of the other kids. Uh, I, I can see where the hate's coming from. Yeah, definitely. In 1989, Sol and a woman, Melvitt Sockwell, went to Sol's house. Sockwell and Sol hung out for a period of time, but when she decided she wanted to leave, he became abusive and aggressive. He bound her hands and feet with a tie and a belt, then gagged her with a rag. She eventually told police, He choked me real hard because my body started tingling. I thought I was going to die. Sol was charged with kidnapping, rape, and attempted rape. Sockwell was three months pregnant at the time. Sol ended up spending 15 years in prison and was released in 2005. This was a crime that caused him to have to check in with police every 90 days following the passing of the Adam Walsh Act. When Sowell was released from prison, he moved back in with his stepmother on 12205 Imperial Avenue in Cleveland. It was a three-story duplex situated amongst several abandoned businesses, boarded-up homes, and in the center of an area where drug abuse and crime was rampant. 
The house was cheap, and in 2007, his stepmother became ill and was hospitalized, so he stayed there. Sol found work in a factory up until he was laid off also in 2007. At that time, he began selling scrap metal and recycling. During his time after prison, Sol would frequent a sex site called Alt.com, where he'd look for sex partners. He described himself as a master looking for submissives. There was a foul stench that was reported in the area, and it continued to linger on. In December of 2008, a woman waved down police on Kinsman Road in East 116th. She was covered in blood. Gladys Wade told officers that Anthony Soule had invited her in for beer, and when she declined, he attacked her. She was dragged upstairs and strangled so hard she passed out. When she awoke, Soul was on top of her trying to rape her. When she got free and tried to get help at a nearby restaurant, she was turned away and told to use the payphone outside. Soul caught up to her and told neighbors she was trying to rob his house and went back home. Police sent her in an ambulance to the hospital where she received stitches for an injury to her thumb due to broken glass. Tracks in the snow in front of Soul's house suggested a struggle occurred. There was also a bloody tissue nearby and blood on the steps. Soul was detained. Detective Georgia Hussein later told Wade that it was going to be a case of her word against his and that for all anyone knew, it could have been that she was the aggressor. Soul was released two days later and no search of his residence took place. Cleveland police would later refute the story and offer a slightly different account. They said the victim would not cooperate with police when she agreed to speak with them, she failed to show up for an interview with Lieutenant Thomas Stacho, and that Hussein presented the case to the prosecutor who decided they didn't have enough evidence to charge Soul. The interesting thing in these cases, it seems, is like this area, like it just seems, you know, from the very beginning when we talked about, you know, raised sausage and there's this strange odor in the area and stuff like, and then (laughs) it just keeps lingering on and there's weird stuff going on and no one really seems to do much of anything around here, it seems, just based on some of the story so far and things that I know and have researched, you know, around it, Um, like, you know, the the police well even like the the woman who escapes um and she goes in that restaurant and she's trying to get help and they tell her to go use the payphone outside like what the hell <laughs> i don't get yeah, it when she's clearly visibly been attacked and assaulted and she's bloody and beaten up and they tell her to go outside and use the payphone i i don't get that at all why wouldn't they have well, I think we're putting it through our filter, like put it through the filter of that area. If you, you know, you and I have been up that way, like this probably is like so common. Like think of all the strung out people that are probably walking around the streets and do really strange things and come into these businesses and say weird things. And you're like, dude, just get out. I don't need this right now. Get out of here. You're scaring my customers. Like just go, please leave. <laughs> you know, um, you know, I once managed um, a subway and there would be strange people that would come in and they would do stuff like this all the time. And you would know they were up to no good. And especially people who would come in and try and quick change you and stuff. And we'd kick people out all the time for doing stuff like this. Just being weird, strange behavior. And that was in, you know, a pretty affluent area mostly. Um, and so, you know, I personally think that these people in this area probably deal with it a lot more than, you know, when we read it on the outside as, you know, white upper middle class people who are in our suburban neighborhoods where we feel pretty safe overall, you know, like you got to think, put it through the filter of like a, a rundown drug and crime ridden area and then kind of think of it that way. Yeah. That's a good point because we talked a little bit about New Orleans in our last episode and, and, you make a good point. Can you imagine some of the people that just kind of linger in and out of businesses down there on a regular basis and they're just like, you know, just get the hell out of here. I'm trying to run a business. I'm trying to make money. You know, I'm trying not to scare my customers away. So yeah, that's a really good point. And I didn't think about that. Yeah. And this area of Cleveland is, it's less than desirable (laughs) for sure. Yeah. It's definitely, you know, it's run down and, um, you know, it's not a great area to be in. And, you know, it used to, at one point in time, be a thriving area. That's why there's all these houses and stuff built there. And, you know, it it was right near all the factories and steel mills and all that stuff. But now that stuff's come and gone. And, uh, you know, you've got these run-down neighborhoods, boarded boarded up buildings and businesses. And, you know, it's an area that's definitely not thriving. Let's put it that way. Right. So I got to know, since you managed a subway, what's the, uh, the most notorious customer or just vagrant that came into the store that you had to kick out i got to hear that quick story okay so i 
Well, I have two instances. One was an employee and one was a customer. So I typically didn't have too many problems with the customers overall. Like I didn't have to personally really kick anybody out or do anything like that. Um, however, I was there. I had a manager I worked with, another manager, um, who he was very confrontational. <laughs> and people, for whatever reason, would just get under his skin. And he was a very like quiet, reserved kind of guy. And so like when he was just doing his thing, you know, he always had that look of uh, what do they call it, resting bitch face. So people always took him as very angry. And he was a little angry, but normally he was just kind of quiet. And so he was talking to a regular who had come into the store all the time. And um, he was really chatty. And it was a female. And, you know, he just knew her and he was just being nice with her, I think. And, uh, she left and then this guy comes in and he orders a bunch of sandwiches and, you know, there's like a process to the way that you order sandwiches that can be really annoying. And this guy of course comes in and starts doing that. And so this manager is, he has this look on his face and then the guy, the customer starts flipping out on him. He's like, what? Cause I'm not a, a girl. You're, you're just going to be a jerk to me. And then they start getting into it and start screaming at each other. Like it escalates very quickly. And so he told the manager said, all right, dude, get out of here. Like I'm done with you. Get out of here. You're disrupting the customers leave. And the guy starts screaming. They're screaming back and forth at each other. And so the customer goes to leave. And when he, he opens the door and he goes to slam the door shut, but it's one of those doors with the, the air compressor or air press, you know, like <laughs> hinges. And he goes to slam it as hard as he can. And the door just like goes <laughs> and like slowly, very, very slowly shuts. <laughs> so <laughs> I just remember that because this guy was so mad and he tries to slam our door and it just doesn't even come close to slamming. It just closes like completely gently and as slow as possible. <laughs> I just always laughed about that. But um, that was one occasion. We did kick out a few people who would try and quick change us. That that would happen on occasion. Like as soon as they start this thing where they start, for people who don't know, quick changing is when you get to the register and then you start like trying to exchange bills for different change and like the people try and confuse you so that you end up giving them more money than they gave you at the beginning. And so they'll come in and they'll, you know, they'll have like a 20 and they'll be like, okay, they'll pay for their like $5 sandwich and you get 15. Like, oh, can I get five ones back? Yeah, yeah. And then as you're doing the five ones and you're counting, then they go, oh, I, can you give me uh, two, two tens back for this five? And then you end up uh, exchanging a bunch of numbers so fast that it can confuse the person at the register. As soon as someone starts trying to exchange bills multiple times with you, you just stop them right there and go, no, I can't do that. And then you just kick them out. So that would happen. And then the other one was an employee who who was stealing from from the shop. And um, I had family who who ran this business, so I had vested interest in this place, you know. So I, uh, you know, I always was watching these people. And and this dude would like take like three foot long sandwiches home all the time, and then like load up on like all. Oh, you were supposed to get a six inch sub for every four hours that you worked, and it was a normal sub. Like, but you know, we'd be a little lenient. Like, if you put a little extra on, no one's gonna pay attention to that. But this dude was like taking like party subs home, and like just being extra ridiculous with the amount of food he was taking. And, and he was also a poor employee and would show up late all the time. Anyway, this dude sucked. And so, um, you know, I told our, our owner and they fired him. And then when he got fired, he started calling the store and harassing me and like threatening to come kick my ass and threatening to come kill me and do all this stuff. And he was pretty, uh, pretty aggressive about it. <laughs> he was not happy that he got fired. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. fun times. I, I can't relate. I've never been in <laughs> that type of position or, or had that type of job. So I was just curious. Yeah, it's uh it was interesting. Um you know, you you meet a lot of strange people. Um we had a lot of uh of weirdo customers. Um I had this trucker who would come in all the time and he was pretty cool, but he always liked to talk shit to me. And so we were teasing each other and he told me the best part of me ran down my mom's leg. <laughs> um yeah. <laughs> So anyway, he, he, he never told you that you had a real pretty mouth, did you? <laughs> oh, that's good. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that dude was pretty interesting. <laughs> you, you meet nice. some people. <laughs> Let me tell you what. Okay. Well, let's get back to business. I, I had to know if there was any, you know, good stories about being a store manager. So. Always. Oh yes. I'm sure there's more. <laughs> I just am not thinking of them right now. Okay. But, yeah. Let's fast forward to September 24th. 2009, two days after the attack on Latundra Billups. The case is assigned to a sex crime detective who is having trouble reaching her. On October 11th, she fails to show up for an interview with detectives. 
On October 20th, a call to 911 reports a naked woman falling or being thrown from a second-story window of Soul's house. Soul tells responders that she fell out of the window because she had been on drugs and it was an accident. EMS takes the woman to the local hospital and they call the police. When the woman is interviewed by police, she refuses to cooperate. On October 27, 2009, LaTundra Billups meets with the sex crimes detective assigned to her case. A day after the meeting, a search warrant is issued for Soul, and a search warrant for his home is issued as well. On October 29th, police go to Soul's house to arrest him, but he's not home. They enter the house and find two decomposing bodies. The following day, police return to, the, to search the home and discover three more bodies, two in a crawl space in the house and one buried in the basement's dirt floor. On Halloween 2009, Anthony Soule is arrested walking down Mount Auburn Avenue about a mile from his home. On November 3rd, Soule is charged with five counts of aggravated murder. Also on November 3rd, police discover six more bodies buried in his backyard. Okay, so before we get into the details of the Soul investigation, let's discuss the women and timeline of events after the investigators uncovered the bodies of 11 black women in Soul's home. May 2007, Crystal Dozier, age 35, is strangled by Soul. She was the mother of seven children. She went missing in May 2007. June 29, 2007, a woman who lives across the street from Soul calls to complain of a smell of a foul odor in the neighborhood, which she smells like a dead person or animal. June 2008, Tashana Culver is strangled and killed. August 2008, LaShonda Long is killed at Soul's house. October 2008, Michelle Mason is murdered by Soul. November 10, 2008, Tanya Carmichael, last seen by her mother, is reported by her mom to have, it, to have had a drug problem occasionally and, appears, and disappears for three to five days at a time. However, it has been three weeks since she was last seen. December 8, 2008, the bloody woman we discussed earlier flags down police. February 10th, 2009, Warrensville Heights police check several houses between East 120th near Kinsman Road and Oakfield Avenue, where the woman from the December 8th assault flagged down police looking for Carmichael, but no one recognizes her. April 2009, Nancy Cobbs, a local construction worker who also has a drug problem, goes missing. Amelda Hunter is murdered by Soul. June 2009, Talisha Fortson, she went missing in June, but wasn't reported until her mother heard about the Soul case in November. Janice Webb, and also Kim Yvette Smith. September 22, 2009, the woman's soul attacks leading to his arrest is assaulted. So let's recap the timeline of events <clears throat> after the report on September 22, 2009. So on October 29, 2009, the two bodies are discovered. The next day on the 30th, three more bodies are discovered. On the 31st, Soul's arrested. Then on November 3rd, prosecutors charge Soul with five counts of murder, and police find six more victims. Then on November 4th, the Cuyahoga County coroner announces all 11 victims are black women. At least eight had been strangled. Tanya Carmichael's body is identified. On November 5th, police identify a second and third victim, Talisha Fortson and Tashana Culver, both strangled. November 6th, East Cleveland police reopen the investigation into the strangulations of Garner and Thomas and the killing of Prater. Police identify Nancy Cobbs. On November 7th, police identify Michelle Mason, Crystal Dozier, and Imelda Hunter. On November 9th, Janice Webb is identified. On November 11th, LaShonda Long is identified. So what's strange about this case is <clears throat> there's not like a ton of information like leading up to these murders. And, um, you know, it's mostly just, you know, this report that there's this just nasty stench in the air in the area and like nobody is investigating and that Ray's Sausage place is literally right next door to Soul's residence. Um, Ray's Sausage is on the corner, and then Soul's is right next door. And the, the Sausage place replaces a sewer drain and various other things because they just don't know. You know, everyone's blaming the Sausage place on this smell. But it turns out that in Soul's house, there are just dead bodies everywhere. And that's why it smells horrible in the neighborhood. Gee, go figure. And, you know, the theme with most of these women is that they are reported, like, way late. They all have drug problems. They're all black. They all live in the inner city. And, well, I guess not the inner city. It's kind of a suburb of the city. But, you know, um, in this rundown neighborhood that has drug problems and crime, and it's mostly, um, you know, lower class and nobody cares. Like nobody's really following up. Um, you know, Cleveland police don't seem to have a great track record when it comes to investigating some of these events. Um, 
you know, they get reported and they kind of do the bare minimum, but then they find out these women are on drugs or whatever. And they're just like, eh, you know, they probably just left or OD'd somewhere. Like, who cares? <laughs> That's kind of their stance. They're not going to officially say that, but from reading everything that happened, around this case, that's basically my conclusion is that Cleveland police just don't really care if you have a drug problem and you're in the lower income areas. So, um, I don't know. What what do you think no, about that? That's exactly how I read into it as well. And I don't know if there's any law enforcement, uh, individuals out there that listen to our show. I mean, it, it's possible, but it, it seems like a running theme where depending on your, I don't, know what the correct term is social status or you know where you live or what issues you might have the police kind of turn a blind eye in a lot of these cases and it seems like a running theme from several of these cases that we've done so far you know and it's kind of it's kind of too bad because i get up on my soapbox here a little bit but i mean everybody has you know the right to live their life and you know whether it's good or bad the things that they do no one deserves to be strangled raped and killed obviously and so many of these cases we, we talk about where it, had law enforcement acted a little bit sooner, there would have been a lot less victims. Just like the Willie Picton case, that the first time he was brought into you know the police department, questioned, I think there was a two-year gap of time where they didn't arrest him officially and get him charged and you know start finding evidence at the farm. This is the same thing. They they smell these horrible smells coming from this neighborhood. You know, obviously blame it on the sausage place because they're making meat product or whatever. And I'm sure there is pretty interesting smells that come from that place. But a dead body is a pretty distinct smell. (laughs) No kidding. Um, Yeah. And, you know, even early on, uh, you had a city councilman, you know, Zach Reed. And he reports that there's this just nasty stench in the area. And I think his mom lived like somewhere near the area or something like that. And that's why he was always around there. And, you know, he's reporting that there's like, there's just nasty stench everywhere. And, you know, then you've got soul over here has dead bodies living in this house. I mean, he's living amongst these dead women. And, uh, I don't think we really touched on it much yet, but you know, soul himself, I believe has a drug problem at this point. Um, I think he's a crack addict and he drinks a lot of malt liquor that's kind of his beverage of choice. And, you know, so he's not in the right state of mind. And then I think you bring into focus the abuse that he suffered as a child and his hatred of women. And then it kind of led him down this path. And from every case that I read about uh, each of these women, almost all of them were lured to his home on the promise of drugs or alcohol. And that's how he was getting them. You know, they were all drug addicts, you know, and he was taking them back to his place and then murdering them. And, you know, I'm pretty sure during his testimony, he says, you know, like he just didn't like women. Like, you know, his mom just pretty much jaded his life, apparently, the way that she treated him and his his siblings and his nieces and nephews, um, or cousins, I mean. Let's just talk about that, though, for a minute. There's 11 victims, and and some of the articles that I was reading through, I always... I like to read through articles while I'm looking for audio for trailers and things like that too, to try to find some of those good videos to, to pull clips from. But l- let's say victim one and two are already dead. They're in the house. It, what are these other victims thinking when they come there and smell this dude's place? Are they so wasted that they cannot smell the dead corpses in this guy's house? Because I don't think he was, he was going out of his way a little bit to hide the bodies, you know, within the house, but that smell, and I've said it before, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's a, a large animal or a human body. That smell after three or four days is distinct, and it is, it's just wretched. And I want to know what these women are thinking when they're coming to this dude's house to hang out. Like, Jesus Christ, is this guy just the worst housekeeper ever? <laughs> or what's the deal? Because I know if I went to somebody's house and smelled that smell when they opened up the front door, I'd be doing a 180 and be out of that place. <laughs> Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I don't know if their drug problems were so bad that they just didn't care or what. I mean, drug addicts are notoriously not the cleanest of people. So, you know, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm, I don't think they're rotting dead body dirty, but, you know, they're not very clean. So I don't know. I don't know what's normal, why that seemed okay. I wondered that myself. That's a great question. You know, how many of these women showed up at this place and were like, whoa, <laughs> this stinks here. Um, or they all just lived in the neighborhood and it smelled so bad they were all used man, to it. Man, oh man, that's just crazy. Um, 
Right. It, it's disgusting on several levels. And, uh, you know, I just, uh, ugh, ugh, it just like, gives me the heebie-jeebies just thinking about Maybe, it. Maybe, yeah, I, I don't, I don't get it. I, I don't care how messed up you are. Generally speaking, when you're going, to, when you're going to somebody's place to get, you know, hooked up with some drugs or whatever, for the most part, you may be, you know, coming down off a high or, you know, in between, you know, getting your fix. So you, you think your your sensory organs are still working normally at that point. Just just the smell of a dead body hitting you in the face. And what about what about the sausage place? That place, they're just trying to run a legit business and they got people blaming them for the stink. So can't imagine they were things were going real well for them when there were six rotting corpses in the backyard behind their building. Yeah, and the interesting thing is, you know, like I think he was able to blame the sausage place for this like it was like the perfect storm he lived right next door to this sausage company that was like making sausages next door it's like yeah that place just stinks it's not my house (laughs) you know what i mean so like you could easily just like when someone comes over go yeah sorry for the smell it's not my house it's the it's not the you know six rotting bodies in my house it's the (laughs) sausage place next door um so i don't know he must have had a good excuse there was uh there was also a video um in the alleyway between his house and that sausage place of that woman when she fell out of the window and, uh, and he comes out naked and he's like chasing after her. And it was really strange, but yeah, there was like surveillance video of that event unfolding and you know, she falls, she falls out of the window and then he just takes her back in the house and he's, and he's butt ass naked outside in this alleyway walking around. It was, yeah, it was really bizarre and you know there were several different times where you know like these women would escape and then he would come and be be like hey no this this chick's got a drug problem you know she's crazy or whatever people are just like eh, whatever <laughs> you know it, it was it just happened to be that weird perfect storm of low income police don't care next to the sausage factory that we can blame for the smell like i wonder if this sausage place didn't exist like do people actually take this seriously and investigate it uh, i have no idea I'm going to guess no. <laughs> I'm just going to guess no. I don't think Cleveland police have the best uh, track record, at least in these low-income areas, for right. investigating these things. To Soul's advantage, the sausage place was right there, because I looked at the map, and the storefront faced one street, and it was kind of, to me, it looked like it was kind of on the corner, and then you round the corner, and then the first house on the next street was Anthony Soul's house, so he literally, his house, yeah, yep, his house Imperial literally set, you know, behind the storefront, so... Yeah, exactly. It was right behind it, and it was just, like, the perfect location to blame this on. Like, it just worked out perfectly for him, you know, for that period of time. Although he's extremely sloppy, and that's why he ends up getting caught. But that it was, it was, it was just, like, that right amount of things in that area for this to happen. And I don't think you have, but have you listened to the latest season of Serial, not the yet. podcast? Okay, so they did, they did a whole season on the justice system in Cleveland. Um, which was quite fascinating. And let's just say that the justice system in the Cleveland area is not very good. And um, and we say we have the best justice system in the world, and there's a lot to be desired. <laughs> so uh, Cleveland police just don't seem to have a great track record for being on the up and up with this stuff. And I just don't, after listening to that and reading some of this and some other things that I've heard about and just living in the area, I don't believe that they do their best job when it comes to these kinds of cases on purpose. Um, they just treat them as one-off, whatever, who cares? It's a low-life loser in a low-income area, and we don't care. Um, that's, that's the vibe I get. And if you're a Cleveland police officer listening to this and you're not one of those people, then I'm not talking about you because for every you know, good bunch of apples, there's always a rotten one. So, um, let's be clear, this isn't a dig on law enforcement as a whole, just the bad ones. And I just know that there in Cleveland there is a propensity for these people to kind of sweep this kind of stuff under the rug or kind of push yeah. it aside. I have a, I have a feeling that that's, you know, that's duplicated in other big cities as well. I would agree. And I would also say we usually only hear the bad cases where things were botched and things are missed. Um, no one really goes around and overtly praises the police for every time they do their job, but you'll hear about it when they don't. And I think that, you know, so there's, a, I think there's a, in general, as a whole, negative things tend to get more coverage because I don't know why, but people are drawn to the negative more than the positive. And so it'd be boring if every day in the news we heard like the 19 stories of how they right. did their job, <laughs> you know, people be like, okay, cool. Big deal. That's why you it's don't hear boring. about it. People um, don't want to hear that. Exactly. Exactly. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at here is, you know, 
from the things I read in here, it's all negative, but that's because that's the stuff that gets reported and you don't hear all of the positives. So again, I reiterate, this isn't a dig on all law enforcement, just the bad ones and when it happens and we know about it. So um, don't think that we don't realize that as a show. Um, you know, I, I definitely support law enforcement and, you know, and I hope everyone else listening does too. I know that they do some weird things and there's some weird conduct and you know protectionist activities that happen when bad things do happen and i don't agree with those things however there are a lot of really good police officers who do their job and do it well and you know those people need to be commended for that so anyway okay let's move on yep now we're going to talk about the uh the charge that were brought up against soul and and some of the proceedings soul was charged with 11 counts of aggravated murder 74 counts of rape kidnapping tampering with evidence and abuse of a corpse he pleaded not guilty by reason of insanity, but later changed his plea to not guilty. He was convicted on July 22, 2011, on all but two counts against him, including the 11 murder charges. On August 10, 2011, jurors recommended a death penalty for Soul. On August 12, Judge Dick Ambrose upheld the jury's recommended sentence. Soul had, has been on death row since September 14, 2011. Soul's execution was set for October 29, 2012, but in March of 2012, a motion for stay of execution was filed and the motion granted in April. Soul's death penalty was appealed by his defense team in October of 2012. The biggest points of the appeal are that Soul did not receive a fair trial because of the extensive media coverage. The media attention was overwhelming, generating thousands of news stories and local coverage was both frenzied and sustained. The courtroom had been closed to the public during an evidentiary hearing and while a jury was picked and that he received lousy legal representation. Soul's trial attorneys should have had their client plead guilty to the killing of the women and then focus their efforts on preventing Soul from getting the death penalty. It was later determined by the Ohio Supreme Court that, Ohio that Soul's Sixth Amendment rights were violated. The following is the Sixth Amendment for those not familiar. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law and to be informed by the nature and cause of the accusation, to be confronted with the witnesses against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and have the assistance of counsel for his defense. On December 8, 2016, the Ohio Supreme Court rejected an appeal from Anthony Soule, affirming his convictions and death sentence. In May 2017, Soule appealed his case to the U.S. Supreme Court, but in October they denied it. In February of 2018, the Ohio Supreme Court denied a request by Soul to reopen his appeal. Yeah, and you know, like this this court case stuff again. I think this we talked about this a little bit last week. It it gets a little confusing because of all of the different things that go on in the legal system. And you know, I'm not a legal expert. So what ended up happening was it seemed like um, you know they file their appeals, start the appeals process, and then. <laughs> The court said, yeah, uh, you were right. The Sixth Amendment right was violated, but we don't feel that that mattered. Like, that didn't change the outcome of this trial. And also, Sowell doesn't contest that he's not guilty. Like, he ended up admitting to it in so many words. And so, therefore, we're going to continue on with what we've already done, and we're not going to put this back in trial again. And so, you know, that's that's kind of interesting in, in its own right, and it's a good thing, you know, obviously. Uh, you know, we don't want to have soul out on the streets we don't want to have him retried because obviously like this happened it was all in his house like it's not this isn't this is kind of an open and shut case kind of like the picked in case was once they started uncovering the evidence it was like oh okay yeah clearly like this this is happening and so you know here we are uh what, seven years later after he was arrested well actually i'm sorry it was seven years after he was on trial and you know he's still alive <laughs> so what'd you think about him as a person when you were watching some of these videos and I'm assuming you listen to some of the court audio of him confessing and stuff. What'd you think about him? I did. I listened to, I wanted to incorporate some of the actual uh, hearing footage into the trailer, but the audio was terrible because, you know, I don't know why courthouse audio has to be so terrible in general. But um, <laughs> to me, every time I've seen the guy on an interview or they show something about him on the news, he, he appears to be a clean cut dude. And he doesn't have that, to me, I'm not a psychologist, obviously, but he doesn't have that crazy, sick, demented, twisted look in his eye that you, you know, that you obviously can see with some of these other people. You know, there's not, there's not a distinguishing factor. If you saw the dude walking down the street, he would just look like a normal guy in Cleveland. 
You know, it was there's nothing about his appearance or his demeanor that I saw that would trigger anything else other than hey, it's just a guy walking down the street, right? Yeah, I um I tend to agree. I I was listening to him his testimony and he's just like he just seems like a chill, just normal dude, like someone you could just hang out with. He seems super approachable and and nice almost, which I know that's weird to say. I mean, he murdered 11 people. Like that's disgusting and he's despicable and but he just seemed so approachable like way different than like the toolbox killers those dudes just seemed like they were psychos and soul seemed so just relatable it was weird i don't know like i'm watching him give his testimony and i almost feel sorry for him yeah i I get i hear what you're saying there i had that kind of that feeling as well i mean obviously in the back of your mind we know what he did and what happened and what the outcome was but in discussion back and forth with you before we we got to the point where you wrote the narrative and things, I think you had mentioned that he was actually a cook for the Cleveland Indians at the ballpark at one point. And then the trailer audio, just to give a little context of that, that weird laughter and, and soundbite at the beginning, you see this guy in court who appears to be a normal, everyday approachable person. And then that sound came from a 45 second home video that was, you know, taken into evidence from Soul's home where it almost looked like a selfie for, and for 45 seconds you see this like strobe light flashing and you see this dude dressed up as the Easter bunny and then he obviously laid in the audio for this weird demented laughter come to find out I read a little bit into the context of that video he had dressed up as the Easter bunny for a kids event at a church in Cleveland I don't remember the date and time or the actual church but that's where it came from so he's taking footage of when he dressed up as the Easter oh, bunny man. laying in this sick twisted laughter and strobe lights and shit it's like to me it's something you would see when you were tripping <laughs> honestly <laughs> not that i bet not that i've ever went oh man the tripping route but you know to me that's what i'd imagine it would be like <laughs> sitting in a couch hanging out and all of a sudden you freak out and you see the easter bunny and then this real deep laughter <laughs> <laughs> oh my god yeah it's like uh what was that show Wilfred or whatever that dude would see his dog and his dog was like real but it was like a dude dressed yeah. up in the dog costume <laughs> yeah oh it my was. God, that show was i don't weird. appreciate the fact that you anyway. reminded me that that ever was a show i had forgotten all about it <laughs> <laughs> of all the tv shows i don't watch that are good i ended up watching like several episodes of that show for some reason and it's like i don't know it captivated me in some strange way and you know i don't watch very much tv and I tend to like rewatch things that I like a lot instead of watching new stuff. But that show, for some reason, I've watched yeah. way too much. I think it's it. just so fucking weird. You have to see what the whole story is about. Like, why is this even a thing? And you got to investigate it a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's just so strange. Anyway, it was like Elijah Wood was in it or something. He's like the main guy. Right. It was so weird. Strange. That whole show was just weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But yeah, it was a. Uh, it was fascinating. I haven't watched that video. You sent it to me last night, and I didn't get a chance to check it out yet. But I definitely will, and I don't know. Maybe we'll post a link to it on our our web page in the blog section. Um, I don't do a great job of keeping up our website up to date. I do try and keep the episodes posted up to date, but I don't really go into the blog too often. Just other things going on. So uh, that being said, stomach growls are epic. I purposely didn't eat breakfast today so that I would get some good stomach growl audio for you, but. Uh, that hasn't happened yet. And by breakfast, that's breakfast at 4.30 in the morning, <laughs> not <laughs> not breakfast at like 7 a.m. <laughs> the last couple of weeks, I failed to leave you some good audio because I I, uh, I ended up eating before I started recording. So I figured in the spirit of stomach growl capturing, I yeah. should probably not And eat. for everybody on the listening end of the show, that, that stomach growl, I'm hoping that I can edit out because that one resonated all the way from my gut to the back of my throat. So... That was just disgusting. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I don't know why you people listen to us, honestly. Just stop. Stop listening to our show. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, um, really, there's not a whole lot left to say about Soul other than, you know, this was, I think, I think in his case, he was basically tormented by an abusive upbringing, and then it created this disdain for women and then he ended up on drugs, and it just manifested into this really massive execution of his thoughts on you know these poor women. And so ultimately, that's that's where I think we stand: is that it it just manifested itself into something that 
I, he even says like, this isn't him, um, in his testimony, this isn't the person that he is. And in a way I believe him. However, he did like, you know, rape his niece or whatever when he was like 11. So is it not him? I, maybe truly at his core, it's not him, but because of the emu- emotional abuse and stuff that he suffered, it, it is him. And I think he needs to come to terms with that, that that is him. Like that you don't just do, like that is part of you as much as you don't want it to be. And I think that's more or less what he's saying. Like, I don't want to be this way. This isn't what my intention is. Just something else has right. happened. The only, th- the only thing I had to add to the, before we wrap up here was, I do remember when this case was, in trial and you know it was real hot news coverage they did state that you know from the time of his arrest and i don't know if it's the case today you know seven seven eight nine years later but i know when he was arrested originally he was in very heavily protected custody while in prison or in jail because there were a great number of the victims family members that were in jail with him as well and, you know, they were afraid that they were just going to, oh, you know, man. take their prison justice and take him out, which I'm not, I'm going to come right off and say I'm not opposed to. I'm not sure why they just don't let it happen. So I'm sure he's still in some kind of protective custody, but I, you know, that's, you know, it's too bad. Yeah. I, I don't know where he stands now, but, um, I did look it up to see if they had a date of execution for him and I saw something was out there for, I think 2021, but then it was like, it said removed. I don't know how official this website was I was on, so I don't know where it stands at this point, but I was just curious, like how much longer he had and, uh, I didn't really find anything. Well, that's it for our show this week. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And thank you for sharing our podcast with your friends, coworkers, family, people who enjoy sick and twisted tales of murder and who can be vegan and not harass us about it while listening about people getting murdered. Anyway, if you enjoyed us um, and if you want to help us out at all, you can head to our website, www.killerpod.net. Check out the show. Check out the blog when I do update it. You can also... um, Click the support button on that page and donate to the show. Or you can hit up our Patreon page, which is www.patreon.com forward slash killer podcast. And you can also follow us on all the normal social media sites. Uh, You can reach us at Twitter at killer underscore podcast. Instagram at killer podcast. Facebook is facebook.com forward slash killer podcast. Or if you simply want to shoot us an email, send that to killer podcast at gmail.com. And I would also like to remind everybody, go take your IQ test, iqtest.com, and get your results in your email. could be in your spam folder. You should probably check that if you're smart. And send us a uh, screenshot of your results. We'd like to see it. So hit us up on uh, Instagram or Twitter. Stay safe.